Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.milkcreekent.com, that's milkcreekent.com, and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. We'll do more pondering than usual. Hmm. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to preface this now for anyone listening. If it feels a little off, I'm hoping I can fix it in in post a little bit. We'll but fix if it, it feels off. Post. Yeah, if it feels off a little bit, it's just because I think me and Nick are experiencing a lag. And one, as you, you guys know, me and Nick are in two different states. We have to do this over Skype. It's, you know, it is how it is. Deal with it. Yeah. So I do have a topic today for our preamble. We don't yes, normally, we mentioned. don't normally plan our preambles, but this is what's been really grinding my gears lately. <laughs> <laughs> so what I want to talk about is uh, it, it's kind of it, it's going to bring in multiple themes all at one time. Oh boy! It's it's about uh, nerd culture. Okay. Um, I had just watched the trailer for the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Uh, oh. And I, it's not Sonic the Hedgehog and its design that I want to talk about. I want to talk about gatekeeping, whiny fans, and bullying in nerd culture. Oh, God, yes. So, I just watched the new Sonic the Hedgehog trailer, which has been causing controversy online. Have you seen any of this, Nick? I have not, no. So, have you seen the trailer? I saw some stills. I did not watch the trailer. So you know what the character looks like in the new movie, yeah. correct? Okay. Yeah. So the controversy that's been going around online is that people are complaining about the look of Sonic the Hedgehog. They're like, it doesn't look like the classic design and so on and so forth. And so much so that they they bitched and moaned so much to the point that the studio went back in, undid all those thousands of hours of man work, and I want and uh. are want going to change the design that they came up with. And uh. what bothers me about this is one, they essentially bullied a film studio into doing what they want because they weren't happy with it. So they feel this extreme fucking ownership to this product that has nothing to do with them to the point where they're going to bully people into changing it so that way they can see it the way they want to. And then two, no one asked the director, hey, why did you change it the way you did? I personally watched the trailer and my, like his body shape is a little goofy, but like I didn't think it was a bastardization of the design, especially because the design of Sonic the Hedgehog wouldn't work in the slightly photorealistic style that they're trying to make. Yeah. And that like 
So they, they, they spent all these hours and hours and days and months and probably even close to a year making this creature. And then they're not pushing back their release date at all. They're like, we're going to go back in and try to change it for you. And it's probably going to be even worse than it was before. <laughs> there. Are you happy now, nerds? <laughs> um, and then the nerds are probably still going to find something to shit about. Yeah. No, I... I uh, agree with the you know like I said I'm not really uh, connected to the Sonic uh, the new Sonic product or um, the complaints regarding it but uh, ner- nerd anger and um, ownership over things is something that I am routinely railing against I I've had several conversations with people defending um, artists' right to interpret, reinterpret, reimagine, add to an existing ethos. And if you don't like it, that's fine. But people are so tied into canon and their personal interpretation of what that canon should and should not include that, um, that it really becomes problematic. For And, okay, so you get a bunch of nerds that all agree. But how many times have a bunch of people complained about something and then that that doesn't get changed that says true to the original version that people complained about and then later on is appreciated you know even if it takes a year or two or even a decade it then becomes appreciated as a beloved part of the thing it's what what's at the heart of this is it in my opinion is their inability to accept change and and, yeah. and if you don't yeah. want change like, that's fine it, then don't freaking watch the new movie or product or comic book or whatever. Like, change is inevitable. You, you, why make a new movie if you're going to make it exactly the same? Like the the whole point exactly, is to exactly. add and build on and and if you don't like it, you don't have to like it, but you do have to accept it as part of the artistic process. I mean, exactly. I guess they it's don't like you have know, to, but they're proving that. But <laughs> and I know we haven't watched it. We're gonna eventually get to the episode where we're gonna talk uh, Super Mario Brothers, which is notoriously people say one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made. And I am a staunch fucking defender of it. And I had actually just read a really well written article about the film defending it. Actually, it was on Letterboxd. It was a review, and it it gave the movie five stars out of five. And <laughs> nice. Because they said, think, think about where think about where Mario was in the mid '90s. It was a side scrolling video game. There was no there was no lore. There was no there was no overarching story. It was a it, the game was created as a. Uh, Everything in the game was created just to service the mechanics of the game. So the only it's a non-cinematic world. The only way that you can cr- make it cinematic is essentially kill everything except for the two core principles, and that's Mario and Luigi, and then reimagine it. And everyone's like, it's nothing like the video games. Yeah, the video games would have been a terrible fucking movie. Well, like, and, and I'll take it you one have step to be able further. To change. Um. Super Mario Brothers was a total revamp and reimagining of the Mario and Luigi characters. They were in Donkey Kong. They were in their their first, um, and then I I believe it was after Donkey Kong where Mario was actually the one climbing up and jumping over barrels. Um, 
Then there was one with Mario and Luigi that was more like Pac-Man, which became a mini game in one of the future games where you're, you know, you can walk off of one side of the screen and you reappear on the other and you're just trying to get the POW blocks to knock the other one out. Which I yeah. think was a was that that I think those were both Atari based games, but Super Mario and I may be getting the lore wrong if there are any Super Mario Brothers nerds out there you know, feel free to correct me and tell me I'm a horrible person. Um, but Super Mario Brothers that everybody fell in love with when they got their Nintendo Entertainment Systems when they were kids was a reimagining. And, you know, if you didn't give that... You gave that game a chance. I'm speaking as the royal the royal you. Um, you gave that game a chance probably because you weren't connected to the earlier games or if you were, you didn't have that, like, nerd anger yet. Or, or whatever the reason, um, you you need to give the... Again, you don't need to. I think it sucks that people claim ownership, define their lines of what should and should not be in that box, and then rage against anything that falls outside of it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like... <clears throat> it was legitimately upsetting me the way that, like... Like there, I get it. You can, you're upset. You can be upset, but like this nerd rage turned into this whole new fucking thing. And I, I even saw people who are like who who like me who didn't mind the design, and people were shitting on them. It's like you're not a fan of this if you like this. I'm like, it's <laughs> not true. And that that's another aspect that pissed me off. It's like, oh, so you're now you're gonna gatekeep a fucking hedgehog who captures rings and right. say someone else is not a fan because they like a design. Like, God forbid I ever get to make the Mega Man movie I've always wanted to do because y'all gonna <laughs> fucking hate it. <laughs> and, and it will very well, like, I know it would be good and solid and yeah, no, nobody would give it a chance. And I have the same argument over the Ghostbusters answer the call. Like, that, that one really upset me when people were railing against that. And we talked a little bit about it. Wait, which Ghostbusters was this? Uh, the 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 female led. That's it. that one's answer the call. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So then, oh, okay. and we talked about this a little bit when uh, the trailer for Ghostbusters three was released, and Paul Feig's react. Or no, I'm sorry, not Paul Feig. He was answer the call director. Um, uh, uh, Jason Reitman's reaction. Jason to the, Reitman. Yeah. Um, their reaction of, or his reaction of, um, how do you know that uh, I'm not going to have girls in it? Like, uh, exactly. Just, just chill out. And, and it's one thing to rail against these products after they've been released. It really pisses me off when people yeah. are railing against it before they're even released, based on some stills or a trailer. It's like you don't, you don't get it yet. See the piece, you know, no. absorb it, give it a chance. And then, like, another thing that's been just annoying me, uh, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but it's right now it's been the biggest thing on <laughs> everyone's yeah. tongue. This was this was this past season, because it's the final season. And uh, uh, once again, nerds got took, took so much ownership to this thing that they love that they didn't like the way it was turning out. They were essentially they they essentially armchair quarterbacked their their themselves into a spot where nothing that these creators could have done would have appealed to them. So much yeah. so that there's a petition going on around to remake season eight. Yeah. What the fuck? I heard about that. <laughs> 
Like that is just <laughs> asinine to me to the point like where like I get it. You weren't happy with the way this goes, and then like what what always hurt what always hurts me is is everyone's like it's i'm not criticizing the people for being fans of this thing i'm there's things that i'm passionately fans about what annoys me is i want to say 90 percent of these people have no idea how anything is done behind the scenes and when something that they don't like happens uh on screen or or earlier in the season when there was an episode that was extremely dark and people were saying oh the cinematographer doesn't know how to light no, he knows how to light. He's probably been doing this longer than you've been probably actively watching. Uh, he just intentionally chose to make it dark. And maybe you're just not watching it in the right in the right setting. Or maybe your TV's too dark. He didn't make it so that way you couldn't see. He knows what he's doing. It was an intentional choice. Same yeah. thing with if you don't like the way the show is being written, everyone's like, the writer doesn't know what they're doing. I'm sure they do. You just – you had an image in your mind of what you wanted this show to be. And now it's pissing you off that your predictions weren't correct. Right. And if we're going to blame anyone, blame HBO. HBO is the one who's giving them the money. And who, who HBO is the one who could only afford to do eight episodes because so many people were pirating this show. Or there's not enough subscriptions to this show. And every <laughs> single fucking actor gets a base pay of a million dollars per episode. That's why they couldn't have more seasons. That's why they couldn't have more. Because... It costs too fucking much, man. Right. So they, yeah, they had to wrap it up faster than they wanted to. Like, don't, don't think for a second. I can guarantee you, without even watching the show, without knowing anything about the creators, they had something longer planned. They had something bigger planned. They, I'm sure they didn't plan from the very beginning to piss people off. <laughs> wow, I'm getting fired up. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? Well, should we channel that energy? Should, should we channel all of that energy into the ghosts of Mars? If you want, do you have anything that you have anything to add about gatekeeping and and nerdy nerd culture? Uh, no, it, you know it's like I said, it's a conversation I've had so many times. I and I know it's not going to change people's personalities. I just it no, it, it is extremely frustrating when. When people do that, don't be a dick. You know, the the Will Wheaton axiom. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, it, in my opinion, like, it, it, my, my you know, tendency to lean heavily on karmic balance um, when something isn't right in the world, um, they're really, like, doing themselves a disservice. You know, they're the people that do this gatekeeping, they are preventing themselves from... Uh, uh, taking in wonderful art and and that's on them it sucks that that's in the atmosphere but they're the ones inevitably that are suffering I, i'm not losing any yeah, sleep it, because they're pissed off about it <laughs> it's like it's it's same thing with, i know you don't watch wrestling but the same thing happens with wrestling fans where they work themselves up because they are predicting what they where they like to see the storyline goes and it doesn't play out that way and Good or bad, how it turns out, they're like, well, that was terrible. It's like, yeah, it's easy to go back in hindsight and say, oh, that was terrible, knowing what had what had personally didn't work for you. But if you go and expect it to be anything but what it is, you're going to be upset. Just try to go out there and enjoy it. And that's what I'm going to finish this up with saying. Um, it's okay to like something. It's okay to dislike something. 
my 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 message out to the because like there's been some people out there who have liked the way that Game of Thrones ends, and then there's been plenty of people being out there like, oh, that's that's it was a terrible ending. It's okay to like it, just don't allow peer pressure for, to change your perspective on something. Yeah, like I, it's the part if if I let peer pressure dictate the way I feel, I wouldn't be such a big defender of Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I'd be following the line of everyone else. I probably love things that other people hate, and I probably hate things that other people love, but it makes us unique. You know? Like, I, like I, I'll be the first to admit, I watched the entire first season of Game of Thrones, and I was bored out of my mind, so I had no interest <laughs> in going back. That's not a problem, because I'm right. comfortable enough with myself to know that I'm not going to let peer pressure change that. You didn't uh, demand that the creators remake the first season because it bored you. You just went, you know what? Not for me. This has artistic merit for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, like the second season of Twin Peaks was not what I wanted it to be. And I didn't go out there and try to, you know, argue with David Lynch, even though he even agrees it wasn't very good. <laughs> but... <laughs> He, he walked off the show halfway through, so he, he okay. wasn't a fan of it either <laughs> at a certain point. But, uh, um, yeah, I guess that's that. Uh, I, I Normally, I don't plan our preamble conversations, but I've been holding this in, and I just need a sounding board. Who wasn't Amanda? Amanda, I'm sure sick of hearing it. So Got your blood boiling. <laughs> yeah, how are you, Nick, before we start the show? How are you? Oh, I'm good. Um uh yeah no i'm good um that, that's about it yeah just really busy um but positive <laughs> really busy but really good <laughs> but, but <laughs> all right um i well i'm glad i planned that preamble we probably i'll be like how you doing nick i'm good yeah okay I'm let's good. start the show that's it <laughs> <laughs> all right let me take a sip of coffee for the working man <laughs> This is also be oh. this will be fun too because I have I have not written my intro. Nice. Because usually I even it's, write like the hello and welcome. I write everything out just so like yeah. I don't I don't like sit down and be like uh, salutations and hello or some shit. I like, can change it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> New intro. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Virus, and with me, as always, is a man who's jacked, ready, and double tough. Nick Richards! <laughs> oh, it, go, uh, it goes to Mars. I heard that line. I was like, that's it. That's the line. That's the one. <laughs> um, so today's going to be a little different because normally the, the DVD and Blu-ray reviews are kind of assigned to me. Um, and I do them a lot as bonus episodes. However, on uh, two episodes ago, I did dis- I did give the, the the distinction between a bonus episode where I review movies and a legitimate episode where I review movies, and it all comes down to 
whether or not we had an episode that week. <laughs> if we didn't have an episode, if we didn't have an episode, a bonus episode becomes an episode. <laughs> it got promoted. This will potentially be a very weird episode for us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So disclaimer, everyone. Um, you know, you after uh, doing our intro, we're kind of we're experiencing some technical difficulties. Please stay tuned. Um, so we're we're experiencing some lag. It's thrown our conversation off a little bit, but uh, I guess from a technical standpoint, this will all work. But it just might be a little disjointed. We're gonna do our best uh, to give you guys uh, a coherent episode, and um, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, I'll, I might even record a little thing to put up top. But uh, now today we are doing something a little different. Normally, me and Nick pick, choose a movie off our shame list or what have you. But we both review, we both received the same review copies for movies from Mill Creek, so Yay! we're gonna go that way. And and it became an unintentional theme of John <laughs> Carpenter and Mars. <laughs> the Mars Carpenter double feature. Mars Carpenter. Okay, so Nick, which movie do you want to start with? Um, given uh, that I'd like to end on a good note, let's start with Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> that was kind of what I was hoping you were going to say. All right, let so, me read the back of the so box. I didn't bury the lead at all on how I felt. No. Um, I, uh, yeah. So this is automatically bullshit right here because Ro- Ebert and Roper gave the movie two thumbs up, so... What the fuck? What? Um, it's on the back of the box. Two thumbs up. Maybe it's one of those things where they say, I would never give this movie two thumbs up, and then they just, like, parceled it off. They did I'm actually gonna look up, say go, the words, two thumbs up. I'm going to look up. I'm going to see if I can find a review from Roger and E... From, from uh, Roper. I said Roger and Ebert. Ebert and Roper. <laughs> Roger and Ebert. <laughs> because I'm legitimately uh, uh, curious what they had to say. But anyways, I'll read the back of the box because, you know, we need to get to talking about this movie. Yeah. From John Carpenter, the master of horror behind 1998's hit John Carpenter's Vampires and classics like The Thing and Halloween comes a sci-fi thriller full of explosive action and bone-chilling suspense. Natasha Hendrich, Hendrich from the Species franchise is Melanie Ballard, a headstrong police lieutenant on Mars in the year 2025. Humans have been colonizing and mining on the Red Planet for some time, but when Ballard and her squad are sent to a remote region to apprehend the dangerous criminal James Desolation Williams, played by Ice Cube, they discover that he's the least of their worries. The mining operations have unleashed a deadly army of Martian spirits who take over the bodies of humans and won't stop until they destroy all invaders on their planet. With a stellar cast, including Pam Greer from Jackie Brown, Jason Statham from everything, and <laughs> Clea Duvall from The Faculty, as well as explosive special effects, John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars is an intergalactic terror fest like you've never seen.
was supposed to be a routine prisoner transport. Williams was arrested on the suspicion of murdering six rail workers. The bodies were hung and decapitated. But here, a million miles from home. Hello? Anybody here? Drop your weapon. I ain't going back. They're about to discover nothing is what it seems. We've got a situation ahead. Everybody in the mine's gone inside. What the hell is going on out there? Whatever used to live here, we woke it up. It takes us. I'm talking about a kind of possession. Something's kicking out there. We need us, and we need you. None of us is gonna survive if we don't stick together. Come on. Time to stay alive. From the master of terror. Go! John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Damn, girl. I like you already. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so, it is Nick. like nothing I've ever seen. I will give them that. Yeah, I can also verify uh, Nick, that those actors you... were in fact in that movie. So those two parts of that description were accurate. Yeah. Oh my god, Roger Ebert legitimately gave this movie four out of five stars. Why? What is his justification? I don't know. Okay, do you want? Well, we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different because normally me and Nick are pretty positive people when it comes to reviews, <laughs> and we don't like to shit on things. We both really love John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, I I I I'm I'm cool with sci-fi as long as it's yeah. not men in lab coats just walking around. Um, I, I have yet to see a sci-fi movie that is just men walking around in lab coats, so I want to find this. Is that just something that you thought it would be, but don't have a uh, reference to or is there a pocket of sci-fi movies that are just people in lab coats that i just missed out on <laughs> i think it's like 1950s sci-fi movies okay all right like it's usually like the first five the ten minutes are just dudes in lab coats and i yeah and yeah. i just tune out okay. um okay so his review uh, roger ebert's review of ghost of mars is mostly him re he, talking about the plot um but here's here's his like final thought Ghost of Mars delivers on its chosen level, and I enjoyed it. But I wonder why so many science fiction films turned into extended exercises and blast the aliens. Starship Troopers was another. Why must aliens automatically be violent, angry, aggressive, ugly, mindless, and hostile? How could they develop? Oh, so he's 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 commenting about something to do with this movie, but he's commenting that they should still shoot the aliens. But that's really. exactly what this movie is. Why did you like the movie so much? Yeah. Uh, his review um, doesn't even really say why he likes it. <laughs> oh, actually, while I've been reading it, the review went down to three stars. So I'm confused. Huh. Maybe this is a big conspiracy. Yeah. I'm going to put all my money maybe. in that basket. All right. Well, Nick, what did you think of Ghosts okay. of Mars? Ghosts of Mars. My mom said, if you don't have anything nice to say, <laughs> no. Um, okay, so there is some 
that uh, there are pieces in this that had potential. Okay. Yeah. There is like I can feel John Carpenter in there. Yeah. But there are like the actors. Like I know from seeing them in other things that this cast can act really well. Yeah. I think I think one of the things one of the sev- many things that hampered this film was a horribly written script, which John Carpenter is part of that writing team, but he has a history of writing very good scripts. So what happened here? I can only imagine, because this has the stink of first script on it, that somebody somebody's first script out of the gate, it's exactly how my first script sounded. It's how every... Uh, like, you watch something that got produced that is, like, somebody wrote their first script. The dialogue plays exactly like this film did. It was awful. The dialogue was awful. It is 60 minutes of exposition and, like, 20 minutes oh, of non-exposition. It was and can we talk about like heavy-handed, and clunky. Oh, and to make things worse, so um, I wish the film would have just played out narratively as it was happening. Instead, we had like this Star Trek esque courtroom case, um, and what was annoying about that? So the entire movie is essentially a flashback of telling us the story, and then within that, we had flashbacks within flashbacks where she's yeah. telling the story of someone else telling her a story. Well, I can only tell you it's, what they told me. <laughs> Like and I, honestly, I kind of wish that would have played into it a little bit more, like this idea of an unre- uh, uh, of an unreliable narrator. Yes. And like when I first heard about this film, I knew it had a bad reputation, but I was thinking, okay, I can see why this would work. John Carpenter is a big fan of of westerns, and I was like, oh, I can see how you can do a western on Mars. This idea of this new territory, you know, it's like I I can see this working. Um, That's why Firefly worked so well. Yeah, and honestly, oh, if this makes you feel any better, which I'm sure it won't, uh, (laughs) looking up the the other screenwriter, Larry Sulkis, this is like, this was his last movie. He he had written movies before this. What? Well, he looks like she, never mind, it was a lot, it it was a lot of television. It was a lot of television. I don't know if that helps or not. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Like this film, like there's there's elements about this film that I liked. I will go so far as to say. Uh, but honestly, it, the things I liked about it were things that John Carpenter did in previous films. I was like, oh, th- there's times like this uh, uh, that this reminds me of Assault and Precinct 13. Yeah, his second movie. Like right. things that he'd already done before. Or um, apparently the original conceit for this film was supposed to be another Snake Plissken film. And it was going to be Escape from Mars. And Desolation Williams was going to be Snake Plissken. But Escape from L.A. did so terrible. They were like, yeah, we don't want to do that. Oh. Uh, and I was like, oh, that would have been a little. that that would have If Kurt Russell would have been in this movie, I might have enjoyed it more. Honestly. I, I, Nothing I against was Ice drawing... Cube. He was fine. Yeah. Well, again, like, I know that Ice Cube is a great actor, but I think the material he was given was so bad that he did not, It like, it seemed like a bad performance from all of these veteran, hey, from all of these veteran performers. Um, 
So like, I, maybe everyone did what may, they could with the material. Yeah, I think maybe this is a lost in translation issue where what what it was originally conceived to be got changed and hacked away at so much in order to fit it into something else that the soul of it got lost and no one really realized it. Yeah, and I guess I wanted to like the movie. Like I liked the cast. Like uh, I was, it was cool to see Pam Greer was was in this, and you know, um, uh, John Carpenter, a big fan of old movies. It's like, oh, that's cool that he brought in Pam Greer, and he brought in, yeah. um, you know, Jason Statham before he was a big deal. Uh, but it's it's also not surprising that this was his last movie for nine years, and then he just quit directing altogether. I can understand why <laughs> that was me. And then, like, so, so for me, there's two big things that if if I had to, because like I I can forgive a lot of stupidity in a movie. I can. Like, I I love yeah. movies so much. I've seen good movies. I've seen bad movies. And in terms yep. of the story, there wasn't <laughs> anything in the story that necessarily pissed me off or offended me or any of that shit. It just, you know, it, it was what it was. But what what really annoyed me, like, even the bad script and all, because John Carpenter's had bad scripts before, that he's made it work with his unique vision. Yes. For yeah. me, there was three things that went wrong with this film. I'm not even right. counting the script. It's like I said, John yeah. Carpenter has made mountains out of molehills before. He's done it. <laughs> the three things that annoyed me, one, were his direction felt very phoned in. Two, the the, the music was un, was frustrating because um, – the, the the music was frustrating because John Carpenter, who composes all of his own scores, is has this mantra of simplicity and nuance. And everything was so over the top and these screeching blah, blah, guitars. Blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. I, I, I was telling Amanda, it's like if I if I could go back in and re-edit some of these scenes with like score bits from like Assault on Precinct 13 and Christine, these scenes probably would have been a lot better. Or even music from from uh, Escape from New York. I think the scenes would have played out a lot better. Um, and then the editing. The editing was the worst part of this film. Yeah. Do you think that there is possibly the that the explanation for how this happened is John Carpenter trying to stay relevant in a time period when Starship Troopers and these other, like, you you could see those other films in this. And in doing so, he lost his voice. And it definitely could be, because, like, if you look at his filmography, this is very different, like... I, I can't even say that because John Carpenter has been one to always take chances and do different things. The man who did Assault on Precinct, Precinct 13 did Halloween. Those don't seem like they should be the same director. The right. same man who did Big Trouble in Little China did the thing, did Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Like he's always kind of jumped around. But like looking at his filmography, which I've got to pull it up right now, other than – the thing or potential escape from New York, this film feels so off and out of left field yeah. from what he normally does and makes, which, as I said, is not a bad thing. I'm not going to damn the man for trying to do something different, but I think you're right. To me, it just feels like he has taken a different um, 
a, a, a step in a, for a different genre. And it might even be a genre that he likes because, like, if you look at uh, – he uh, he does a lot of work with video games. And the types of video games that he puts work into I have, have a similar, like, Resident Evil-style, like, look to the, the, the sci-fi yeah. – like, or, or Resident Evil-style sci-fi look to it. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is the type of stuff that interests him. Well, I, like, I think genre-wise – I think it's in his wheelhouse. Like, I can see the thing in here. I can see Big Trouble in Little China in here. I can, like, the man knows how to direct action sequences, and that this is a big action movie. It it should have worked. I will also it, say, like, I, 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 com- I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to man- say real quick. While I feel like a lot of his stuff, like, there's a lot in this movie that was phoned in, his action scenes were actually pretty fucking well directed. Sure. Yep. Yep. Um, it, it honestly, if it had been more action, it might have been more successful because that that is some of the spots where it didn't fall apart. Yeah, I, um, I I feel like if he would have went full horror and done something, say like I don't I don't know how much you play video games, but like um like dead space like if it would have went full horror and a little more on the alien side of things i think it could have really worked or if he would have just went full balls to the wall action i think it would have worked but we're instead in this weird in between where there's also like these 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 weird tortury porn aspects with the self-mutilation and everything and hmm. like i there there are a lot of interesting pieces in this film yeah and it feels like they were just all thrown into a pot. None of them were developed. And so it, like, you know, take the thing, for instance. Like, there's there's the paranoia of, of dealing with this creature that can transform. And, uh, like, that becomes this major thing. And that's what the focus, all the energy of the film is supporting. And this, it has that... that torture self-mutilation piece and the it could be in anybody uh, yeah but the, they, they, they also buried the lead early because like the thing was fun because we didn't know this one we literally saw the creature fly into people's ears right well and like they also weren't really consistent about it because when it was one-on-one it would it would release from a dead thing and then it would be stalking them to who is it going to jump into next but they can go around like machine gunning dozens and dozens of them out but like then according to the other sequence we saw, shouldn't this miss then like kind of come up and infect all of them. But it, and then like, even when Natasha Henstrich's character was possessed, but like, so we'll just throw some drugs in her and then it'll not like just nothing was really supported narratively. Like if, if you want to do an action film, do an action film and don't throw this other stuff in. If you're going to throw other stuff in support it properly. Like honestly, I feel like I would have enjoyed the concept more if it would have been like so. Like the the idea of ghosts of Mars was like the the ghosts of the people of of the creatures on this planet uh, are now inhabiting people. I would have preferred it more if it was actually like Martians um, instead sure. of like these. Like it's weird. You get you you get you get this ghost of Mars fly inside of you, and I get that you're self mutilating. But when do you have time to go full Mad Max? <laughs> right, right, and then like I also loved it. Like the the mean bad guy, he was he was known as Big Daddy Mars. I'm like, oh come <laughs> on. I think the uh, the ghosts of Mars have uh, 
were, were mad at our review and infected our computer systems. Okay, guys, um, for those of you listening, I know the last <laughs> thing we were talking about was like Big Daddy Mars or some shit like that. We just had a complete total system meltdown. No, and two simultaneous hey. system meltdowns that were unrelated to each other. Oh, and to make things better, to make things worse, uh, at the beginning of the episode, we couldn't log into Skype. Our Wi-Fi was messed up. So the, the ghost of John Carpenter, even though he is very much alive, <laughs> did not want us bad-mouthing this movie. And both of our systems went down through some miracle of some higher power. We have all of our previous footage is still saved. But here we are. There's a weird echo to my, to my recording. Whatever. We're going to just make this work. Big Daddy Mars. <laughs> we're we're fixing it in post, baby. Oh, yeah. So, Big Daddy Mars. Uh, what I was going to talk about with that was... Um, so, like I said, they, 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 they went, like, full fucking Mad Max with, like, these... these. They also had this crazy, like, Hellraiser look to it. Yeah. But then I, I can't think of... I, every time I heard Big Daddy Mars, I'm like, that's just such... So, that's so weird. Like, just the name of it. And... I kept getting flashbacks to like the Resident Evil movies in this, and then I kept thinking of 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 George A. Romero, George A. Romero's Land of the Dead, and I was like, his 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 main zombie in that was also called Big Daddy. Okay. And I looked up this when, when we had our technical difficulty to see when that movie was made. It came out five years later, but still, it's like, what are the odds that these two yeah. movies have a similar vibe? Both have a creature named Big Daddy something. <laughs> Um, I also never got on board with Ice Cube's character just casually being referred to as Desolation. <laughs> yeah. Like, every time it hit my ears so bad. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, again, like, first off, I want to reiterate that this is probably the, well, it is the only John Carpenter film that I've seen that I have not liked. Yeah, like I even liked uh, Vampires, and it was not his best, but like I could see John Carpenter in it. Yeah. Um, well, I can see John Carpenter in this. It's just buried under a whole bunch of really hard to swallow uh, weakness that and, and and undeveloped. If if any of those Carpentery bits had been developed, it would have made a big difference. And it's a shame too, because like I, said, I, I really like uh, John Carpenter. I yeah. like him quite a bit as a filmmaker, um, and I just I think he got burnt out. I think that's honestly what happened. Like he, he took he took a long he took a long extended wait after this movie and made the ward, which I've not seen, but I've heard mostly unfavorable things. <laughs> I I have heard it's better than Ghosts of Mars. Okay. So maybe that little bit of a break helped him. And then he just kind of retired and he became a rock star and was doing music and uh but um apparently he had such a good experience helping produce and then writing the score for the new Halloween film that Blumhouse just made that he wants to come back and make another film. Okay. So like maybe that maybe now he's re-energized and he'll come in and do something cool. That would be great. Um it, it, what this movie left me with as, as the credits rolled is I had this really strong urge to have like a candid conversation with Carpenter and hey be like, "Hey man, what happened?" Like not with him, 
Like, I want the story of how this didn't come together. Like, I feel like there's some, all right, you know what? I can't really talk about this in the industry, <laughs> yeah. but I had to work with this guy who was a real pain in the ass. And like, and, and we had, and scheduling it. Like, I want to hear, for lack of a better word, the excuse. Like, what, I, 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 I feel like there's a story here. And that's the story that I want to hear. Quite frankly, that's the story that I want to see. Because Rosa Mars was not the story that I wanted to see. No, 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 no. Same, same here. And then, like I said, the thing that really got me was, uh, and and if this didn't bug you, I would be really surprised because you are an editor as well. Is the editing on this film was atrocious? Yeah. Like, I I think I I have a feeling I agree with you. I was so bogged down by the the script issues and the delivery of the, you know, you, you can only polish a turd so much. Um, I, uh, Nick, you that, you, that I, it didn't catch my attention. You're a drinker, right? You, you drink, correct? Uh, yes. Well, I, occasionally. I, on occasion. uh, <laughs> I don't drink anymore, but I want you to sit through this movie one more time with a couple good friends and make a drinking game. And you have to drink every time there is a, a random cross dissolve in the middle of a scene. Because oh. you'll be fucking wasted. Oh, how did I not notice that? Like, everything from, like, uh, cross dissolve, like, there, there'll be two characters leaving a, like, a building, walking down a hallway, and they'll just cross dissolve twice in that amount of time wow. of them just walking and drinking. And, like, not drinking, sorry. Of them just walking. It'll be, like, two cross dissolves, and they'll constantly do cross dissolves in the middle of a scene. And it reminds me of when I was in film school, and I had a teacher who told me that um, – because I was – when I was making fun of the Darkness Theater, I didn't want to just – I didn't have enough coverage to show the character looking at the marquee for the theater he was walking in and then entering the theater. I took – show him take a step or two, and I cross-dissolved him outside the theater into inside the theater. And I was thinking, well, that makes sense because you – it's just showing the passage of time. And my right. teacher was like, you can't do that. I was like, well, why not? He's like, because it's supposed to be showing the passage of time. He's like, and I am showing the passage of time. You didn't say how much time I had to pass. <laughs> and so what I did was I made that cross dissolve larger and even added a sound stinger in the middle of it to just piss him off. Yeah. But then I saw this movie and I was like, oh, this movie... It was edited like it was someone pissed off at their film school teacher saying, you can't add cross-dissolves <laughs> there. And they just two, they would two, do two or three of them at a time. You can't tell me what to do. And I was like, that's all I could think of. It's like, were they pissed off at someone? Like, right. why are there so many unnecessary cross-dissolves in this film? That's so amazing. seriously, just go back through a couple scenes, Nick, and just like watch for them cross-dissolves because they're there. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and uh, one thing I want to I want to mention was... Near the end of the film, when Big Daddy Mars gets set on fire and he's in, you know, <laughs> freaking out. Yeah. They cross dissolve like three times within that scene. Okay. Um, but one of the times when they do a cross dissolve, they cross to, I swear to God, they cross dissolve to him wearing a Michael Myers mask. The, yeah, it, the really bad, um, like, burn suit. Yeah, and I couldn't tell if it was a white mask that they made to look like him or if they were intentionally putting a Michael Myers mask on him. 
And I swear to God, it was it was a Michael Myers mask. It wasn't just a wow. white mask. It looked just like the Michael Myers mask. So uh, much so, if you need to, to reference this, if you need me to, I will record it off the TV so you can put it in this fucking episode. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right on. If I can't find it on uh, YouTube. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find... Um, Look through my notes and just like one of the things that I I, I I mentioned the flashback within a flashback, which happened yeah. often throughout this. Also, the idea of drugging the ghosts of Mars, which I still think is, is stupid. Like I was I, I would have been more OK with it and it still would have been weak, really weak. But like I was almost waiting for and it also would have tied up the whole like her telling this in, uh, you know, as a past tense narrative um narration uh if like the ghost of mars was still in her because all they did was drug it for a minute but then it like sobered up and now the ghosts of mars are loose in the you know this courtroom like that would have at least been something i still wouldn't have liked it but i would have hated it less yeah. But instead, Ice Cube just shows up, hands her like this silver coated machine gun. And he's <laughs> yeah. Like, All right, let's do what we do. You would have been a good crook. You would have been a good cop. Nah. And it was so oh. cheesy. And then it's like, it was so weird. Like, I'm not used to a sci fi movie where, like, they, they are, their weapons are just machine guns and shotguns. It's like, no laser rifles or anything right. like okay it's it, that's not important that was not a big one because it's it's close enough in the future totally. i guess that they yeah. i appreciate they didn't go too oh. over the top oh i forgot about this what? okay so what it, it's the year what was it 21 2025 2025 and they're stuck in this room with a bunch of rca connected computer monitors <laughs> hdmi didn't exist then nick <laughs> right it's all like yellow, red, white connectors on the back of these computer screens. I freaking loved that. Like one thing I'd, I'd say about sci-fi movies, they're supposed to take place in the future, whether it be the near future or the far, far future. They do two, one of two things. They use the most advanced technology that we have at the time and just hope that it stays relevant and it, <laughs> it looks more dated. Or they go the Star Trek route and they just make it so over the top that there's no re- there's no way that we can ever live up to those expectations. Except what Star Trek did by doing that, like, look at how many of their technological advances we have now. Yeah. Like, I do iPads have... were totally something that they used in that um, me, show. Me and Amanda are watching through the, the original series right now because of you. Um, and, well, I, I know you're not a big fan of the original series, but I have to start there. I just, it's, yeah, I have no, to instinctually. I, uh, I, I don't have any negative things to say about the original. It's a little corny, but, but in that's a fun. really fun way. It's like but it's its own there, thing. There's this episode called Charlie X. It's it's the third. It's like the second or third episode in season yeah. one, where though this kid has like these telekinetic, telekinetic power, or not maybe not telekinetic, but he can control things and make. It's kind of like a village of the damned type thing, and he has to, he takes over control power of the ship where he's then steering the Enterprise. And Spock's like, well, if we overload the ship, he won't be. It'll be too much for him. And I just love that. That Spock and Bones and Uhura are just turning everything on in the Enterprise at once. And I was like, oh, this takes this idea of this futuristic technology and really makes it simplified to the point that, like, I imagine Spock's turning on all the coffee makers and all the washing machines. And they're just turning everything on. And I was like, oh, <laughs> the fact that you can just turn everything on in the Enterprise makes it tangible. I don't right. Know. It's, it's, that's a little bit of a diatribe. 
Um, one thing, uh, something uh, I'm gonna do one more Star Trek tangent. Okay. Um, something that I really enjoy about the series Star Trek Enterprise, the yeah. Bacula led one. Which, yeah, Bacula. Uh, takes place between our present and the original series. Yeah. So it's kind of like merging the original series. I remember, the like they, they didn't they didn't have like uh, um, like teleporters yet. They wasn't like a trusted technology yet. Yep. So they're still kind of in the yeah. I remember that. But one of the things that I really enjoy about it is they have to take the technology from Star Trek, the original series, which is kind of silly and dated now. Their big earpiece communicator mm-hmm. things and and uh, you have to, and they did a really interesting job of trying to bridge those two things from like where we exist now in our present of like oh we've clearly that is old technology yeah. by our standards but then creating like an in-between between the two in a believable way that makes you think that yeah in the future this is what that tech will be and i i always enjoyed that about enterprise i'll give you that yeah um so the last thing I'm going to say, I, I got one more negative thing to say about the movie before I got to give it some positive credit Yeah, because yeah. we have to. Um, <laughs> I hated Jason Statham in this fucking movie. He's such a just annoying. And I, I don't think we're supposed to like him. I don't think we're supposed to like him. Uh, but but, but I, we also don't di- strongly dislike him enough to like, like oh, I that did. we don't like him. Oh, I dislike him. But, but there's that like... <sighs> I, I guess when you say we're not supposed to like him, I don't think he was necessarily written as the, uh, uh, where we really don't like him. I think they were, the, it's the lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, Jason Statham, without the mm-hmm. charm. Yeah. Like, when you strip that charm away, then he's just kind of steezy. Uh, well, he's, he's plays, his name's Jericho, and he's part of the police force, and... You know, they're on a routine prisoner transfer. And, uh, you know, he's uh, he's got a lot of things that need fulfilling. <laughs> Sexually. <laughs> he's kind of a frustrated man on Mars, I suppose. And, uh, you know, he's he, he's got his background in, you know, he's done all the training and he's very capable uh, of, you know, producing the goods when it comes to physical sort of uh, encounters. And, you know, he's he's got a... A special way with mechanical objects and you know locks and different things. So you know he, he's very sort of um, schooled and trained in in various areas. But you know they're on Mars and there's a lot of women around and there's not many breeders left, as he likes to call him. So uh, you know he wants to get his wicked way. <laughs> yeah, and like. And that's the thing, like, he was super skeezy, and, like, I just, I really wanted to see him get his comeuppance, and he lasted a lot longer in the movie than I thought he would have. Um, and all, uh, and, like, I could have, I could have taken his, his over-the-top, like, sexual innuendo skeezy character, but what annoyed me is, like, when things start going bad, he pulls Natasha Hendrish, Hendrish whatever, how do you pronounce his name, yeah. to, into another room to have sex, and then she's totally into it. I'm like, oh. Right. That- but, but all of that is bad stripped like yeah. uh, the way the way that those conversations go the whole time i'm like oh that script needs to oh it was really bugging me and that was one of the highlights of the of the bad yeah and and i guess what i'll talk about for some of the good i appreciate that this world's supposed to take place in this is a matriarch matriarchal society i thought that was a nice touch yeah. um it also they also made it believable enough that i could believe that mars could be terraformed and 
And like I said, I kind of wish they would have taken like the Western feel a one step further because it's this big desert planet, much like the old West was. Right. I would have like I don't need to see people in cowboy hats and spurs and all that <laughs> shit, but like I wish we could have seen a little bit more of this society of this town, especially because like where a good chunk of this movie takes place on a train and like I just like oh, I can see this this Western influence and I wanted to see a little bit more of that, but yeah. I guess I appreciated the world that Carpenter. Pardon me. What Carpenter was trying to build, yeah. And I guess I would have liked to hear to have heard a little more of a, like a Western influence within the soundtrack too. Instead of like instead we got Buckethead and Anthrax thrashing on. Which I watched the special features on this, and it was legitimately like John Carpenter composed the score, and it was performed by the members of Anthrax, Buckethead, and Steve Vai. Huh? Like what? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, uh, like you say, like I can see Carpenter in there and it just didn't come together. Um, and, mm. and it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think that's it for Ghost of Mars. I yeah. don't know. If, I guess I wouldn't, I would say it's not a recommendation from the Shameless Picture Show unless one of two things. If you're a John Carpenter completist, like I, I myself am. And I feel the need to own because he's my favorite filmmaker of all time. So I feel the need to own everything. Um, it is a good looking Blu-ray, I have to say. Like they yeah. they did a great yeah. job of. Uh, I guess you don't really need to clean it up. It's from two thousand one, but the movie looked great. There was some really nice use of special effects and miniatures that I really appreciated. I wish the movie would have been shot a little bit better too. But whatever. It's it's two thousand one. We're going through a learning curve of switching to digital and. Um, <laughs> It wasn't my favorite. Special uh, special features were okay, but the one that interests me is there's a commentary on here with John Carpenter and Natasha Henstrich where um, John Carpenter is always a funny interview because he he rides the line between crotchety and and extremely nice in (laughs) one sentence. Uh, like so, the, it's the big, they're talking about. I'll, I'll pipe in a clip of it here, but they're talking at the very beginning about um, uh, the train. You know, the, over the credits, and you see the train coming into the station, yeah. which it, reminded me actually of the Halloween intro of just that slow push in yep. on the jack o' lantern. Yep. I, and this is a little uh, model sequence that we did. We worked on this great deal to try to make it look less like a model, but it still looks just like a model. <laughs> and. Uh, as the movie's getting going, uh, I didn't I, know that was a model. Actually, I'm impressed. You didn't know that was a model? No, it looks like what we set up the chain, the train station out in New Mexico to me. It looks that's like a that model real. Right there? That's a little tiny model. Really, it looks good. Well, you see, if I, all, all the audience is as unsophisticated as you are, then I'm in fine. good. Then yeah. we're in good shape. Yeah. Especially when it comes down to your performance. If I think they have a clue more than me, though, we're in big trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then, like, not even a minute later, her character's introduced, and and he goes. He's like, I legitimately tried to find it because uh, he's like, I like that you had your, your hair pulled back and made your character look more tough. He's like, but it was my word that you might have been too pretty. I thought that was your idea, the pulling back of the hair. Though, I thought actually. it was yours. Really? Well, I asked you to do it. Right. And when we were sitting in the office and you pulled your hair back and I said, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Representation. You know, it, it's fascinating. I compliment you and I hate to do it repeatedly, but it's impossible <laughs> to find a bad angle on you. It's impossible. I tried. As a matter of fact, I had a list of angles to try to photograph you to make you look unattractive. I couldn't do it. 
It's really, really difficult. Really? Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Thank you, John. I see. I'm not a fan of the right side of my face. Um, I'm not a fan. Well, we're not going to get into that. Um, but thank you, John. You're from Gary uh, Kibbe's a good DP too, though. You know? He's not bad, Helps. is he? Help. And I was like, "Damn, John Carpenter!" Like a minute, in a minute, you went from like being kind of insulting to being incredibly sweet. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, Johnny! Yeah, Johnny boy. Um, um, should we move on to the next film, or do you have anything yeah, else to well, say? Well, the one thing I'll say, uh, based on your your recommendations, thing is, so much of your takeaway from movies is dependent, and this goes back to our preamble is what you go into it expecting. Exactly, right? exactly. I, I went into this movie expecting a John Carpenter film. It's, yeah. And I did not enjoy it. Yeah. If you go into this expecting, like, those early 2000s sci-fi popcorn yeah. movies, don't, don't worry too much. I could see having a really good time watching yeah, and like Yeah, and, like, I do know people who like this movie and yeah. who... There's one guy in my Facebook named Esor who runs a video store in Canada who... He's not a... Admittedly, though, he's not a big John Carpenter fan, but this is his favorite John Carpenter film because he thinks it's the most fun. And that's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Like, I know people out there who like this. And honestly, I could even see it, like... I went in, like you said, expecting a John Carpenter movie. Instead, I got Ghosts of Mars. Um, <laughs> I could see myself revisiting this film in like a couple years and enjoying it more. Now that the shock, I know what I'm getting myself into. I feel go like in with the right frame of mind. I feel like I could go in and be like, okay, this is well done. This is well done. Fuck those cross dissolves and <laughs> move on from there. I'm making this episode even more difficult. Not only do we have a difficult edit, but I'm just going to keep swearing, so you have to bleep me out every single time. I appreciate that. <laughs> if I have to do a lot of work on this, so do you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's now transition into some early Carpenter work that um, uh, also about Mars. Um that I have Mars. more positive things to say about. Hold on, I don't have my camera up. There we go. Mars. It, it It's not all positive, but no, it's no, more it's, positives than... I watched this one first, and I was like... did I. And I was like, it wasn't bad. It was yeah. it's pro probably actually pretty good. But then watching Ghost of Mars, I was like... You know, the Eyes of War Mars was actually pretty stellar <laughs> in comparison. Anyways, let me, let's, 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 let's step back a second and we read yep. the back of the box. Yeah. You won't believe what you see. This riveting tale of murder and suspense stars Faye Dunaway as Laura Mars, New York's most controversial fashion photographer, world-renowned for her sensational erotic portraits of models in settings of glorified urban violence. Laura Mars exhibits a mystifying psychic ability. In her mind's eye... As if through the lens of her camera, she witnesses witnesses a series of bizarre murders with terrifying clarity. All of the victims are people Laura, Laura has known. Police detective John Neville, played by Tommy Lee Jones, discovers a striking similarity between Laura's works and classified police phot uh, photographs of the murders, and he attempts to unravel the events which have taken control of Laura's mind. The film builds to a spine-chilling climax when the eyes of Laura Mars reveal the identity of the killer. Bum, bum. In a world of breathtaking models and the beautiful people, Academy Award winner Faye Dunaway is photographer Laura Mars. Her work 
the subject of controversy. Tommy Lee Jones is Detective John Neville, intrigued by her photographs for his own reasons. These are police photographs. They are strictly our own material. They were never published anywhere at all. So my question is very simple. Why am I photographed so much like yours? That's right. Somewhere between the sensations of high fashion and the precise form of her art lies another dimension, unexplored, unexpected. Unwillingly, Laura Mars becomes a witness to a series of murders watching through the eyes of a killer. Eyes of Laura Mars. When it happens, I can't see what's in front of me. What I see is that. Think of that camera as the eyes of the killer. Drawn by a mystery. Do you understand? Their lives converge. Her world, sensual, dazzling, provocative. His world, demanding, dangerous, violent. That, that, this is incredible. In the midst of all of this, I, I can't stop thinking of you. I know. I know. What, what is going on? I don't know. I mean, it's completely unprofessional of me to be walking with you in the woods, I'll tell well, you I that. I don't have time for this. I, I mean, I'm supposed to be catching a killer. <laughs> well, I'm completely out of control. I saw him in the elevator, so I'm Pursued by visions, she is linked to a killer. At any place, at any time, a witness. At any moment, a victim of her own eyes. The film, and if you're wondering where John Carpenter comes into this, because he did not um, direct, he it. did not direct it. He wrote that he the screenplay was written by John Carpenter and David Zelag Goodman. The originals, and he the story is by him. How that works in 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 Hollywood, he wrote the original draft of this script. Uh, Meaning uh, John Carpenter? John Carpenter wrote the original draft of the script. The, okay. the director came in, liked elements of it, but wanted it changed. Enough of the script was rewritten where it's now a co-director credit, and he gets the story credit. Okay. So it's it, he wrote the first draft. A second writer came in and did the second draft. I can still see a lot of Carpenter in this draft, though. The, yeah. the guy who came in and wrote the second draft actually did the Sam Peckinpah movie Straw Dogs. Um, and it was it was produced by John Peters of Batman fame. Uh, Ed directed by Irvin Kirshner, who did Empire Strikes Back the year after. 
Wow. Another interesting connection with Eyes of Lower Mars is John Peters, who's the producer, was uh, dating or married to Barbara Streisand for a while, and she does the theme song. And originally, she I was, noticed that she was supposed to play Laura Mars at one point. Oh, I could see that. So, yeah. so the Eyes of Laura Mars um, is fascinating to me. One, it's got a it's got a baby Tommy Lee Jones, and he's, oh my god. He, With stellar hair. Yeah, and that unibrow? I just kept right. thinking, like, he looks so much like Kelso from that de- that 70s show, and I just kept going, damn, Jackie! Well, I have a date, too. What's his name? His name is... Not important. What's important is, he's better than you. In every conceivable way. <laughs> damn, Jackie, that could be anybody! <laughs> His one eyebrow is magnificent. I know. But then, like, he still looks old. Uh, yeah, the the amount of hair he has. Oh, I my God. Is, such buoyancy. The surprise. Oh. So, Eyes of Laura like Mars. Cloud. Um, I, I guess was kind of like a a thriller. Um, kind it's of a, a whodunit. Whodunit. There's a, some slasher elements into it, but like yeah. before slasher films was really a thing. It honestly reminded me more of an uh, Italian giallo film. Sure. If you're familiar with the subgenre. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. Yeah, it's like show. usually like the black glove killers and everything. And it's interesting because I often, I, I felt like there was times where like the film reminded me a lot of Dario Argento's films. Like his early stuff, like okay. pre-Suspiria, when he was doing like The Bird and the Crystal Plumage, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, and, and things like that. And I know, or even Deep Red, and I know that... Um, John Carpenter is friends with Dario, so like I wouldn't be surprised if this is Carpenter kind of like trying to do his own Americanized Jalo film. Sure. So I think um, that there was a lot that intrigued me about this film. I yep. thought it was really interesting in the first act uh, the attention that they paid to photography as an art form. Yeah, me and Amanda talked um, about that as well. That was kind of fun, and like you know. Now, I don't think that conversation would be in question at all, but it, it was well, kind of a nice slice of life of the 70s of that debate, right? I remember like uh, talking to Amanda about that, and she was, and we were talking about like how at the time photography was big business as well, because I was like, when photography had always been an art form, but like it wasn't like highbrow art like it was here, and just collected, uh, and just like seeing like too, like how big, like how big of production these things were and how big of budgets these, these photo shoots were. And they still have that, but like, I feel like this is, um, around like sixties through now through where this movie takes place is when that was started becoming a real big thing where you had essentially full on film crews to, to make this happen. And then like the photographer, she was just there to snap the photos realistically. It's her creative vision and she didn't really have to do much. They gave her the camera with the lenses, and she just took the picture. She didn't charge yeah. the blocking, but in terms of lighting, she'd be like, "Hey, I need a, I need more fill over there." And so it's like, it's it's a lot of parallels to the filmmaking process, which I appreciated. Yeah. And I that that first act, I got a couple of um, pins of like early on in The Exorcist, also when yeah. they're doing the filmmaking part. Like, yep. uh, again, uh, films made in the same era. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell you the exact years, but that, like, 
um, behind the scenes look at the production and they're both shot on similar film stock so they have similar yeah. you know feels but um uh yeah i was kind of channeling some of that while i was watching the beginning no too and like i, I also really love the way that the film began i thought it was like super fascinating with like you got like the 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 retina, and then like the the had like the um, the um, the Vaseline. Yeah, uh, but what's fascinating if you what? go back and rewatch that, normally it would be like the the iris part of the of the lens would be like colored. Everything else around it would be fading out to black and white. But it was actually opposite, where the middle part, which was crystal clear, was black and white, and everything else is fading out to color. Okay. And then like you had this like mysterious first person murder, and they had that really great transition. To the black glove killer, like stabbing the the book of Laura Mars's eyes to Faye Dunaway waking up, and yeah. then you could see her really like overly chic apartment of all the mirrors and shit. And um, yeah, I just can you imagine the challenge of placing a camera in that set? Oh my god, it's it, it was frustrating, but because of that though, they got some really interesting angles and yeah. and transitions where they could focus in on her through the mirror and then do like um, cutaways in a really interesting way. And just like this film had so many actors that I know, like it had Faye Dunaway, who I know better when she was younger, like Bonnie and Clyde, which was one of my favorite movies. Um, obviously, Tommy Lee Jones would go on to play many cops from this right. point on. Uh, Raul Julio was in the film. Which was I'm not great. familiar with him. Gomez Adams from the Adams Family movies. I demand justice. Someone has married my brother. No. She took him to Hawaii. Get out of here. They have moved into a large, expensive home where they make love constantly. I hate when that happens. Arrest her at once without delay. Who? Debbie, my brother's wife, the temptress of Waikiki. Who are you? What are you? Who moved the rock? Officer, you must issue a subpoena. I believe they own... Gomez, no. A Buick! Just leave. Leave quietly. Leave now. Don't make me call Ringling Brothers. Has the planet gone mad? My brother, passion's hostage. I seek justice. Denied. I shall not submit. I shall conquer. I shall rise. My name is Gomez Adams, and I have seen evil. I have seen horror. I have seen the unholy maggots which feast in the dark recesses of the human soul. There it can. I have seen all this, officer. But until today, I had never seen you hook em, buck em, cook em. now oh he was her ex-husband oh wow yeah i didn't even recognize him yeah so raul julia was in the film brad duraf who played um tommy i think the her driver he's yeah. the voice of chucky oh nice he played chucky in That's all the amazing. child's play films yeah and he had so um, much hair, so much hair. Yeah, and speaking of so much hair, um, uh, Rene Aubergianis, I believe is how it's pronounced. I could be totally off on that. Who played her agent, I believe. Yep. Um, I recognized him. 
Uh, I know him best from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where he plays a shape changer, so his face is all, like, smoothed out with makeup, and his hair is slicked back. Oh, okay. All the time, so he looks totally it's different f- f- than funny enough, like huge, fluffy hair. His face looks so familiar. It's like, I know I've seen that guy in things before. He's he's one of those that-guy actors, honestly. Right. He's also done a lot of voice acting. Um, have you? I, I think we've discussed this you have not seen The Last Unicorn, correct? No, I have when I was a kid. I'm, oh, okay. I'm not super well-versed on it, but I know I've seen it. Do you remember when they're in the castle towards the end and she there's the clock that she has to walk through and there's this drunk skeleton? Uh, vaguely, yeah. Okay. Uh, Rene Auberjanis voices that skeleton who wants wine. Rene Auberjanis. I, d- yeah. I did listen to a little bit of the commentary with Irving Kirshner, which is very dull because Irving Kirshner <laughs> spends the entire runtime telling us what we're seeing instead of like oh. really filling us in and like what he's doing yeah. behind the scenes. It's like, well, now you'll see Laura Mars wake up and walk into her apartment and her apartment <laughs> is really high scale. So you can see that she's wealthy before you even get an idea of who she is. It's like, okay. Oh wow. Gross. You're really just going to talk us through everything. <laughs> he did uh, say that Renee Auberjonis <laughs> is one of the finest actors he's ever worked with. So nice. that's kind of nice. nice. If if you ever get the chance, just look at the the cast of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It is the finest collection of names that I have ever seen. Um, I'm looking it up now. In, in my life. Wow, we've gone I back just, to Star Trek quite a bit in this episode. Well, there's there's so much there there. <laughs> yeah, there there. Okay, yeah, I can see it. A lot of these people, I recognize their faces, even if I don't like okay. know them personally. But uh, they just have amazing names. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that. Renee Aberjanis is just fun to say. Yeah. Um, I think there's a Nana Visitor. Yep, yep, that's on there. <laughs> that's on there. Um, so yeah, so with, with, with back to um, the the film in we itself. We're talking about the cast. Yep, yep cast. I think was was stellar. Uh, even when they weren't necessarily the best. Like I, I would say as much as I love her, uh, Faye Dunaway was kind of the weakest link at times in this movie. Uh, but she also had the hardest performance cause she had to make this, this uh, psychic ability seem plausible and yeah. that's not easy to do. So I'm kind of forgiving of that. Tommy Lee Jones has just, he's such a good actor. It doesn't even <laughs> seem like he's acting half the right, time right. Yeah. where th- that's just how good he is. Let me try that. It's like a lot of fun. What? Is that how I look? <laughs> I look like that. Well, I think that's how you look. Well, I look like a damn cop is what I look like. Uh... No, it's... um. I... Lieutenant no. Neville, may I ask you a few <laughs> questions enough, really. about what's Stop. been happening? It makes me nervous. Why is he killing my friends? Why is he after me? Why me? A variety of things might attract him to you and to your associates. It could be a person who's jealous of your success. It could be a person who, in his own loony way, feels that your work is promoting porno and decadence, and he has a mission to clean up the world. It could be a person who is outraged about being seen in your book. Whoever it was was here this afternoon. He was looking for me. One thing that I really loved, and I love movies from this time period that really show off New York 
in the 70s and 80s back sure. when like it was grimy it was gr- it's still kind of grungy a little bit but like in a charming way now where it's like then it's da- it was a dangerous city yeah and just to see all these locations and the way that they shoot new york i i love it i love it i really enjoyed when uh they were doing the photo shoot in new york with the crashed cars on fire oh and the, the girl um, in the background is going like this over and over again <laughs> But seeing the the amount of uh, screen time that they gave to like the cars going by Just and passers by yeah. being like, what is going on? Here? Yep. I thought that was great as well. Um, and like a movie like this, like only feels like it should take place in New York. It's like yeah. maybe L.A. But for, for me, when I think of like high art photography, I think of New York and just like yeah. I love too that like. You'll see like the the glam and the glitz and the ritziness of New York, and you see the tall skyscrapers. But then you'll go to like some of the grungier boroughs, like Tommy's apartment and everything. And I just love right. how these two worlds coalesce together. And like I said, there's for me, it's like I, I there's very few things are as good as a movie shot in New York. I don't have the same love for New York movies as a lot of people do, um, especially and and you definitely get it here now that I'm on the East Coast. Uh, because everybody's a transplant um and i'll be like yeah uh, it's okay um i just think it's but, got, i think it's just got a really cinematic has, interesting cinematic quality to it yeah uh and it has a feel that it that's undeniable um in the same way that like rocky has it has like i i always enjoy when a film captures the feeling of a place, right? Yeah. Well, with New York, that has been done. Yeah. Like New York has been captured. Now, that's not to say that they didn't do it. They did do a great job capturing New York in that era. But whenever I see, like, when I saw Rocky, we did it, yeah. you know, on the show because it was on my shameless. I had never seen Philadelphia captured like that before. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. And I've been really interested. You know, I follow a lot of indie directors and filmmakers in the midwest and whenever i see a film that captures the mid like the the place that i grew up in in an interesting way that i haven't seen represented on film before i always get really excited. honestly like, that's always kind of been my goal to do with like milwaukee what what other filmmakers like woody allen or will uh, bill lustig or it's weird going from from the director of Annie Hall to the director of Maniac. What they did with New York, I want to do with Milwaukee and just kind of show yeah. it the way that I see it. But you know, that's right. every that's every filmmaker's goal. I I but what, I guess what I appreciate about it is they could have just made they could have shot this in Toronto and said it was New York or just said it was any city. I guess I appreciate any film that has got like the stamp of ownership when it comes to a city. Yeah, that yeah. actually is like you know we're not just anywhere. We are here. <laughs> For this reason. As we talked about it with the Blues Brothers yep. in Chicago. Yep. And I would say, uh, again, I've not seen every movie that's been shot in Chicago, but I would say, like, Sh- Blues Brothers is probably the best interpretation of Chicago that I've seen, or at least I, I can recall at this very moment. Maybe there was something better, but I think that was, like, the, yeah. the big one. Uh, maybe and that or Ferris Bueller's Day Off, maybe. Right. We we talked about that comparison. But it's also how... two very different worlds of the like Ferris Bueller, yeah. who likes to show the more touristy side of it, where I kind of felt like Blues Brothers was like, here it is, nuts and bolts. Right. It would be like comparing uh, Eyes of Lore Mars to like When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. Or as I said two before, Annie Hall and Maniac. Both yeah, take right. place in Manhattan, but very <laughs> different viewings of it. <laughs> 
Um, um, anyways, back to the eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess what did you think of the film overall? Uh, overall, I thought it was pretty solid. Um, I really liked the world that they set it in, mm-hmm. this, this uh, high art photography. And I did enjoy the, the New York element. Um, I, I'm always a... When, when filmmakers put a lot of thought into the setting of a place, um, it always like immediately pulls me in yeah um the and and the deeper i got into the film the more i realized that this is really a whodunit you know the supernatural element i think didn't end up paying off i was a little disappointed in in because they never really explained why she had this ability no how it was related to who it ended up being um and sometimes you can get away with not explaining that. This really neat, like it was, it felt sla- like, like oh, let's give her this cool ability, and and that didn't pay off, which was disappointing. Yeah, um, they're they they tipped their hat as to who it was early on. I think when um, uh, here's the spoiler um, when Tommy Lee Jones had her in the room and he showed her the book with the the stab in the eye mm-hmm. um, because they never explained I, like, yes, it, you could argue that he got it through evidence, but they never established that he got it through evidence. I guess um, I can see how that would be a tip off, but I just assumed that he got it through evidence because yeah. it's, it's his case. I took it as a tip off early on. Um, and there was one point where I was believing that it was Renee Aubergenis' character, but they and that he's kind a, of the red herring. Yeah, that he and they did a good job of that. But then at the end, when they reveal that it was Tommy Lee Jones' character, there was this huge disconnect between okay, I I can totally buy that he's the one that did it, but why did he do it? Why is he it, like he's also the top? Like there. I don't think it would mm-hmm. have been very hard to lock that in better. No, but one thing I will say, I do really loved, I loved his speech at the end of the film too. Like, I, I don't know if it was the explanation that you're looking for, but like, I loved like when it finally clicked into Laura Mars that he was the killer. Cause he was, he was blaming it all on Tommy. Right. And it was like, Oh, Tommy, what, you know, had a, a troubled life and everything. And, his mom was a prostitute, you know, all these other things. And yeah. then he, he he finally slipped in and said, I. He's Tommy's dead. Yeah. No. I don't understand. No. Why would he kill all he those hated, people? He no, hated there's... you. He hated you. No. No, he had the idea. He didn't He had an idea that your work was glorifying violence. He had the idea that death shouldn't be used to, to sell things. Death is a sacred thing. What are you talking about? His mother. No, I don't understand. Tommy's mother. Hysterical woman. She was a hooker, you know. Leave him sitting three, four days at a time in a little one room. In the same pair of diapers. While she sold her ass up and down the uh, streets of the nation's capital. You know, it wasn't very pretty. No. No, no that's, uh, that's not Tommy's story. 
One day the father comes home. I think it was the father. Might have been a John, you know, a trick. It was a father. Outraged about the condition of the child, he slashes her pretty throat for her right there on the spot, you know. I sat there and watched the blood dry on her face until it was just about the color of your hair. You know? Neville? Neville, you said hi. You know, I don't know what you see in that son of a bitch. He can't even pay his light bill. They turned off his electricity last night. He cannot finish his dissertation. He's been working on it for three years. You know, I'm the one that keeps him in shape. See this body? That's my work. If it was up to him, I'd weigh 98 pounds. I'm the one that feeds him. I pay the bills. I answer the Christmas cards. <laughs> you know And then he was just so deep into this explanation, which I guess I don't really, I, I took it as that he was insane to the point where he didn't necessarily have a specific reason why Laura Mars's photography is the one, is the thing that set him off. But for whatever reason, it offended his sensibilities and he just became the object of her, of, of, yeah. of her stalking. And then they also kind of like tied in the fact that like they he's got the split split personality where i absolutely love that line where he's like he's like he's like he's like he he would be 500 pounds if it wasn't for me i'm the one who works out i'm the one who goes to the job i'm the one who applies to the christmas cards <laughs> yeah <laughs> and just like i don't know like it, it was it was kind of it wasn't a great monologue but tommy lee jones made it better yeah yeah i agree um I think they and and I could be wrong about this on subsequent viewings. I might be able to sort it out, but I think they have a bit of a chicken and egg problem mm-hmm. with their story in that, um, you know, her her photography was based on these visions she was getting, um, but he was killing, possibly inspired by her photography. Yeah. So like. Uh, again, like I, I think it had the writers put some a little writers. Yeah, there was multiple writers. There's two. Put a little more thought into that. I think it could have tied it. And I guess I'm in, curious, in a really satisfying way. I guess I'm curious. I'd like to. I'd, I'd love if I could see like the original draft of the script versus what was made sure. and see if that was possibly changed and if some of it was cut out. Sure. Um, but one thing I would definitely say it's like while there are I guess some scripting issues overall, like I feel like it was a great. Um, um, uh, directing piece like it, yes. it gave yep. it gave Irving Kirshner a lot to work with, and the fact that he could take this movie that did have some, uh, I would say, minor like story issues to it, and still make something that was riveting and interesting. He kind of, uh, I think it would have been better if John Carpenter would have been the one to direct it. I think he like especially at this point in his career when he was young and yeah. hungry and really trying to make great movies he could have done something really great with it. But I think that's a sign of a good director is when you can take something that's not, maybe not the best, but make something that's overall really cool. And I thought Irving Kirshner did a great job of really solidifying those themes of, you know, the eyes of Laura Mars. And of course, then she's got visions, but she's also a photographer and all these other things. And like, yes, it's a little on the nose, but sometimes you kind of have to be with themes, but it's like, you know, the, most people will probably think the eyes of Laura Mars, the fact that she could like, 
literally like see the killer but like <laughs> it's also her photography it's all this other stuff it's like i feel like they did a good job of tying in all these these yeah. themes into one place and making something that's coherent easy to follow with some yeah it's got plot holes but like i never felt like it ruined the experience for yeah, me yeah i agree um, i actually was was really excited about the idea that uh her photography was in quote unquote inspired by these visions that she was having, but yeah. that she didn't recognize it. It's not like, Oh, I have a vision. I have to, but just like she was, she, there was something inside her that she had to get out, not realizing that it was this magical vision. Um, I also was really glad that it did end up being this, um, mental connection to Tommy Lee Jones's character mm-hmm. because there was something bugging me early on that that resolved in the process. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, well, we got a problem here. How do your photographs match these crime scene photos? If it was just a connection to the serial killer, mm-hmm. then her photos wouldn't have been staged exactly like the crime scene photos. Mm-hmm. They would have had the same layouts, but they wouldn't have been the shots wouldn't have been composed the same way. <laughs> yeah. By by connecting it to Tommy Lee Jones's character, um, she could be seeing him seeing the crime scene photos, which then explains the exact matching composition. I I, just, I wanted a, if, if, if I wanted a moment with like one of our Mars at the police station, and the crime scene photographer comes up and is like, "I got a bone to pick with you, Missy. <laughs> you ripped me off." <laughs> that's my intellectual property i'm the one who came up with this i just can't show it because it's my job <laughs> you're you're getting rich off of my framing right i thought that would have been great like it, it would have been stupid as fuck but it would have been funny um but no i found myself really enjoying it um honestly though laura mars would have went to prison in this movie yeah totally. like because there's no reason for them to suspect that she killed Tommy Lee Jones for any other reason other than just p- pure murder. So Laura Mars is going to prison in this movie. Um, this I'm, I'm going to mention something that I was feeling when I was watching it that's going to echo something you said earlier. Um, I, I was really not buying the love story between Tommy Lee Jones and Laura Mars. Oh no. And it was obvious. No. Until I saw the, uh, love story element of, uh, uh, ghost of Mars, ghost of Mars (laughs) with Jason Statham's character. Uh, it's like, well now that other one doesn't seem so bad. (laughs) Can we, right. Can we do a a crossover? The ghosts of Laura Mars. (laughs) Yes, please. Uh, the uh, I think that would be that that that'd be a fun connection. The eyes, the eyes of the ghosts of Laura Mars. <laughs> um, and going back to like the the acting thing, it's like uh, like I, I real like I'm a big fan of Raul Julia, so like to see him pop up as as her husband Michael, I thought was great. Even though he didn't have a whole lot to do, yeah. um, I just I thought he was great. Um, but. <laughs> He just showed up, and she's like, here's 50 bucks. He's like, all right, I'll go away. <laughs> but it's like they kept trying to throw all these different red herrings of who it could be and who could be the killer. and um, But you kind of have to do that with, with these um, uh, with these whodunits. But I kind of agree with you. Like, I would have I, I would have preferred either if, like, this, this vision of hers was explained or if, like, 
I kind of got the impression at the beginning that this was, these were all dreams that she was having for a while and it hadn't become a vision thing until more recently. Yeah. Um, once she became involved with it. But I guess I would have preferred one of two things that like, if this is something that she's been having for a while out of like, maybe even just a rudimentary exp- explanation of as to why, or, um, I would have preferred better if this was, I could, I could buy this if this was the first time it started happening with no explanation why I could buy that if it hadn't happened before. But since they get the idea that all of her photography comes mm-hmm. from these visions, then I feel like I need an explanation. If this was a freak occurrence, this anomaly that just started from stress or pain or what have I can believe that. But yeah. since it's been happening for so long and it's the reason she has a successful career, that's why I felt like I need a little bit more as well. <laughs> um, random tangent. Um, I have not seen the dead zone. Me neither, actually. Um, so we should add that to our shameless. Okay. But I'm gonna text this, you dead zone real quick. Nice. I was reminded of the SNL sketch with Christopher Walken where they spoof the dead zone with the uh, I think they called it the trivial psychic, where he touches somebody and he do, you know goes into his. You had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich last night, or whatever. Just the way that (laughs) Christopher Walken overacts that that connection reminded me of how uh, she had her like (laughs) stunned reaction. Christopher Walken reminds me a lot of Nicolas Cage in the way that they have two modes: they've got subtle. Or they've got over the top. They have no <laughs> middle ground whatsoever. Whereas, yep. I don't think I'd say about Tommy Lee Jones. Like I said, Tommy Lee Jones is one of those actors where he's just so fucking aloof that you can never tell if he's acting or not. Sure. Um, I guess that's why I, want, I like seeing him when he's younger because like, I feel like he makes slightly more bold choices. Like in this yeah. film, while he's pretty aloof the most thing... Once he kind of goes full on Nicolas Cage crazy near the end, like he's making bigger choices than he probably would now. Yeah. Um, so I, I like um, that. There, there's I, I had a similar reaction to saying Al Pacino in The Godfather. Yeah. Like Al, Al, like it's Al Pacino. Like I'm not a big fan of him as an actor beyond a certain point. Like when he's young, I think he's great, but then he becomes just like. Ooh, hoo-ah, you know, just becomes that actor. A parody of himself. Yeah, and it's like it doesn't even seem like the same person. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I I I I really like the Eyes of Laura Mars, and I, I I can see it being something that I revisit at some point. Yeah. Just because like it's it's kind of an interesting time capsule. It's also fascinating to see that. Um, this is the film that Irving Kirshner did right before Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> like. What are you going to follow the eyes of Laura Mars with? The biggest fucking Star Wars film of all time? Well, at least at the time period. <laughs> Did you see his work on the eyes of Laura Mars? <laughs> we have to get that guy. It's like, that guy is going places, and where he's going is right to the A bank. galaxy. Far, 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 far away. away. Um, and then he'd go on to do, like, RoboCop 2, and it's like, what? It's it's such an interesting uh, career the man has had where yeah. uh, he did some of the biggest movies and a lot of movies that no one's heard of. But <laughs> this movie did well. Like I'm looking at the IMDb page. It was made for $7 million and it made okay. $20 million, So it's like nice. it did well. Um, we got that, we got that rockin' Barbara Streisand song, which, uh, maybe I'll end the episode with. We'll see. <laughs> Glorious. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but no, I like I, said, I guess I don't really have a whole lot more to say that I liked it. Uh, I'm glad that Mill Creek is putting out weird shit like this. Right. It, this is a, a movie that I would have never seen, and I reckon most people of my generation would have never heard of. Um, I'm a big yeah. John Carpenter fan. I didn't know this existed. Yeah. I, until the credits, the opening credits rolled up, I had no idea he was attached to this. Yeah, and it's like I said, it's just crazy. Like, you look at the people that are involved in this. I actually made a list. Um, give me a second. I want to bring up the list of, like, who's involved in this film and uh, what they're best known for. Because it's pretty it's pretty insane. Like, the cast is whatever. Like, it's it's a really good cast, but it's like, I don't think that's even the most exciting part about this film. Um, give me a second. All right, so here's my list. So we have the director, Irving Kirshner, who did, like I said, Empire Strikes Back in RoboCop <laughs> 2. The writers are John Carpenter, who we all know, and David Zelag Goodman, who did one of my favorite movies, Straw Dogs. Producers are John Peters, who did Batman and Rain Man, John H. Harris, who did The Blob, and Laura Ziskin, who did the Spider-Man trilogy, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Okay. (coughs) Thank you. Cinematographer is Victor J. Kemper, who did Dog Day Afternoon. Okay. Editor is Michael Kahn, who has pretty much done every single Steven Spielberg film. (laughs) <laughs> Faye Dunaway is you know Faye Dunaway Tommy Lee Jones Brad Dourif like Chucky and One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest oh, Cuckoo's Nest it's like there's just so much fucking talent in this movie yeah it's interesting whereas uh, Ghost of Mars did not you you well no you can say the same thing about <laughs> I it, know. if having not watched Ghost of Mars you could look at that cast and crew and go yeah this is gonna be great and it really wasn't no so out of uh, out of John Carpenter's Mars movies, I would I would give uh, the Eyes of War Mars a solid recommendation. Like if yeah. you're on the Mill Creek website and you're like, I can I have got enough money for one. My vote personally is for the Eyes of War Mars. That, however, I will say between the two, it's definitely the slower of the two movies. It's yeah. more of a thinking movie. So if you're looking for something stupid fun, Ghost of Mars is that. It you you got stupid fun. It, it gets my. If you're looking fun. for what I think is a legitimately well-made movie, Eyes of Laura Mars is kind of hard to is kind of hard to miss. Yeah. So agreed. All right. I think uh, we had a bunch of technical difficulties, <laughs> but we made it through. If We're this, on the other side. If this episode is coherent, I will be legitimately impressed. So, is this episode going to be a Eyes of Laura Mars, or is it going to be a Ghost of Mars? <laughs> Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> what should we call this episode, Nick? Should it just be the the, car, uh, the Carpenter Mars the, duology? Uh, double, double, I'd fe- call it double feature. Okay, yeah. double feature. Okay. The, um, the Carpenter Mars double feature. Cool. Well, I think that's all I've got. Um... As always, guys, please rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and uh, Stitcher Radio, as well as well as Libsyn. We are pretty, m- and if we're not somewhere you want us to be, let us know. I'll make that yep. happen. Um, reviews help us out quite a, a few bit. Poems. Yep, we don't have any new reviews for this week, so I will not be okay. reading those off. But like I said, write something up. We'll we'll read it on air. Uh, and you can find us on Instagram at Shameless Picture Show. I'm at Michael underscore Vires. Nick is at a word worth 1,000 picks. Nice. Yeah, I'm kind of going to get it. Um, 
you're you're welcome. Yep. Uh, and and thanks always to our sponsor, Mill Creek Entertainment. Yeah, like we we have a nice little thing at the beginning of the episode for them, but you know they've been good to us, and we love having them on the show with us. <laughs> and if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you: watch movies. <laughs> have a good one, Nick. Nice. Yep. You too, buddy. But you're the only one I trust to show me the way. I always hear your voice, and in my dreams.